Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune and this week's episode is The Dolphins. I need to jump in quickly and remind you all that I cannot pronounce the word dauphin properly in French. I'm going to say it in the way that feels the most natural to me so that it doesn't mess with my rhythm. And I hope my French speaking listeners will forgive me. I am very sorry yet again. So welcome back to the Hundred Years War. Well, sort of. It will be restarting very soon. But I need to share a bit about the childhoods of Louis and John first. Things were looking good for France, in some ways, at the time of these princes' births. While their father was suffering from the mental breakdowns I mentioned in the earlier episode, their sister Isabella was Queen of England, and there wasn't currently war between France and England. There is an important thing that I want each of you to think about throughout this episode. What could make a father and mother want to pass over their own son? Not in favor of another son, but in favor of someone that they had been at war with previously. Louis, the older of the two, was born on the 22nd of January, 1397. He was the third son and eighth child of Charles VI of France and Isabeau of Bavaria. His oldest brother, Charles, and sister, Jean, had died years earlier, but his sister, Isabella, a second Jean, Marie, and Michelle, and a brother, a second Charles, were still alive. So at birth, Louis was not the Dauphin, or heir apparent. He was joined a year and a half later by his younger brother, John, on the 31st of August, 1398. For the next two and a half years, these two princes would be of minimal consequence or importance. Their older brother, Charles, the one who survived infancy, was the Dauphin, and therefore where the political and educational focus was directed. At the time of John's birth, the Dauphin was seven, and likely being prepared to be king with a bit more focus than previous princes. Due to their father's mental illness, many in the kingdom would have been aware of the importance of the oldest son of the king. On the 13th of January, 1401, though, Louis's life would change when his brother Charles died. A day later, he was elevated to the Duke of Guyenne. Really quick, Guyenne is another name for the area of Aquitaine or Gascony. You'll remember that plenty of counts of this area were siding with the French, 
at the end of Edward III's reign and throughout Richard II and early parts of Henry IV's reign. Under Henry V, things would change, but we'll get into that soon. So, while Louis was Duke of Guyenne, he, or more his father, didn't have complete control over it. Louis had spent his time before the death of his brother in his mother's household, but now he had to be trained to be king. I should probably tell you a little bit about Louis's mother, Isabeau of Bavaria, because I feel like history doesn't like her. <laughs> she was a great-granddaughter of a previous Holy Roman Emperor, Louis IV, and her father was the Duke of Bavaria. At the time, it was a rather powerful state, but in many ways, almost provincial. While her family was powerful, her styles and manner would not have served her well as queen consort to one of the most powerful men in Europe. She would have been seen as uncultured. She got lucky, though. Her great-aunt, Margaret, took care of her when Isabeau visited Hainaut to correct these deficiencies. I find it important to point out these moments in history related to women that are often overlooked as being trivial. By giving her niece these social and courtly skills, Margaret set Isabeau up to be effective in the French court. While the early years of the couple's marriage went well, there were problems when Charles began to have mental health issues. He would often not recognize Isabeau and ask that she be removed from his presence. This same struggle was seen in his grandson, Henry VI of England and Francis, in relation to his wife, Margaret of Anjou, a generation later. When Charles wasn't having episodes, he and Isabeau apparently had a happy and productive marriage. They would have seven children after his first episode, including these two subjects. He also trusted her politically. She attempted to negotiate between two powerful factions in court, the Orléans and the Burgundians, whose ongoing arguments will come up more in just a few moments. Plus, Charles gave her control of the treasury. So while we normally think of a boy's time in his mother's household as just his childhood, Isabeau's household didn't fit this mold. She was politically active and astute. Louis was declared an adult in February of 1402, at only five, and Charles VI announced a bit more than a year later that should Louis be a minor when he became king, there wouldn't be a traditional regency as he had experienced. Instead, there would be an advisory council, a familiar repeat of Richard II's minority. How did that go again? Charles, of course, wouldn't die in Louis's lifetime. Louis wouldn't be a past if that happened, after all. But his planning shows that when he wasn't having mental issues, he was a rather forward-thinking and carefully planning monarch. Charles VI also appointed his wife co-legal guardian of their children. You may remember from Mortimer's episode that mothers did not naturally have custody of their children. That right belonged to their fathers. Also, check out the mini-episode on that. He appointed his brother, Louis of Orléans, I'll refer to him by his duchy from here on out to avoid confusion, as the primary in relation to the Regency Council. This also means that Isabeau and Orléans worked together rather closely. This may have left an opening for one of the other powerful magnates in the kingdom to start a rumor that the queen and her brother-in-law were having an affair. 
Such a creative rumor. In April of 1403, Louis was betrothed to his cousin, Margaret of Nevers, the granddaughter of Philip the Bold, Duke of Burgundy. She had previously been betrothed to Louis's older brother, Charles, the previous Dauphin. This was an attempt by the Burgundian faction to influence court politics. Philip the Bold and Charles VI had agreed that the former's oldest granddaughter would marry the latter's heir. Their marriage wouldn't be consummated for six more years since the bride was only 10 and the groom six in 1403. Yes, that does make the groom a bit young at the time. Louis's sister Michelle was betrothed to Margaret's brother Philip, the future Philip the Good. Really, the Burgundians knew how to make a super K. Don't worry, papal dispensation was sought for all couples involved. <laughs> While Philip the Bold held a great deal of territory from which to raise funds, he would never look a gift horse in the mouth. He used his power to raise funds to finance his expansionist goals. It's estimated up to half of his income came from the French treasury. Philip the Bold died in 1404 and was succeeded by his son, John the Fearless. Before going any further, I need to share something about John the Fearless. Those who have listened to the Charles of Navarre episode on Patreon will find this a bit familiar. The only person whose interests John cared about were his own. No matter which side he was on, his own was his first side. Him having influence over his younger son-in-law slash cousin was one of his long-term plans to power. Louis' uncle, Orléans, who had acted as his godfather, hence the same names, had been powerful and active in court due to Charles VI's illness. Just a reminder, this is the one that's accused of having an affair with the queen during the king's various breakdowns. Orléans and John the Fearless continued the political disunity that had started with Orléans and Philip the Bold. This would impact Louis in 1405, when his uncle kind of kidnapped him. With the help of Isabeau. <laughs> yes, Louis's own mother helped his uncle kidnap him. They wanted to remove him from John the Fearless's influence. Remember, John is his father-in-law. Kidnapping may be too strong a word. John the Fearless was visiting Paris and wanted to meet Louis. Orléans and Isabeau left the city at the same time. Louis was summoned by his mother and uncle to join them. The kidnapping didn't work. John the Fearless was able to have one of his retainers intercept Louis and have the Dauphin return to him in Paris. It really was a bit of politics played as piggy in the middle with the prince. Not so much a kidnapping, since his mother did have custody of him. Both sides wanted to control the future king. The politicking between Orléans and John the Fearless eventually boiled over into action. Isabeau gave birth to her final child on the 10th of November, 1407. Like a good uncle, Orléans went to visit his sister-in-law and meet his new nephew, Philip, who sadly wouldn't live long, on the 23rd of November. Obviously, those accusing Isabeau and Orléans of having an affair could accuse him of visiting his lover and their child. But I'm going to give the queen and her brother-in-law the benefit of the doubt, mainly because I think the rumors of the affair were Burgundian slander. 
Orléans was told by a retainer of John the Fearless that Charles VI was waiting for him at a nearby royal residence. As you may have already guessed, Charles was not waiting for his brother, but about 15 masked men were. They had been sent by John the Fearless to kill Orléans. Orléans' killing was brutal, and John the Fearless bragged about it after he seized power. Some more rumors for you all. In addition to having been accused of being the queen's lover, Orléans was also accused of either attempting to seduce or trying to force himself on John the Fearless's wife. Orléans did not have the best reputation when it came to the treatment of women, so just take that all with a grain of salt. And after this message, you'll hear more. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Dauphin Louis obviously had nothing personally to do with the murder. He was only 10. Orléans was succeeded to his duchy by his son Charles, whom I'll refer to as Charles Orléans to differentiate him from his uncle the king. He was 12 on the day of his father's murder. He turned 13 the next day. Happy birthday, Charles Orléans! This killing would lead to civil war in France. Yes. France has had civil wars that most of us in the English-speaking world have never heard of. The Armagnac-Burgundian civil war would last from 1407 to 1435. Like all wars related to the Hundred Years' War, this was a family squabble. Charles Orléans, in an attempt to avenge his father's murder, sided with John the Fearless's enemies. While a peace was achieved for a short time in 1409, It was tossed out the window in 1410. That's the year that Charles Orléans 
married Bon of Armagnac, and his father-in-law, Bernard of Armagnac, took over the leadership of the Orleanist faction. This does explain why it's called the Armagnac-Burgundian Civil War and not the Orléans-Burgundian Civil War. Louis, of course, wouldn't live to see the end of the war. He sided with the Burgundians, not out of loyalty to his father-in-law, but because he didn't really have a choice. John the Fearless pretty much controlled the Dauphin's households. When the Armagnac forces were able to take control of Paris, Louis requested the Burgundian forces rescue him. The destabilization of the Civil War made Henry V's campaigns in France a bit easier. Plus, the Burgundians kept their forces out of the war. Louis stayed in Paris with his father instead of fighting in Agincourt in October of 1415. On the 18th of December 1415, Louis died. His death was blamed on everyone's favorite disease, dysentery. Louis and his wife, Margaret, didn't have any children. With his death, his younger brother, John, suddenly came to the forefront. While Louis would miss the Battle of Agincourt and everything else after it on account of dying, his father was protected from capture by being kept away from the battle. There were plenty of high-ranking French nobles who did participate, and a few of those participants would have a bit of an impact on the rest of the story. Charles, the Duke of Orleans, the son of the murdered Louis of Orleans, was captured, as was John, Duke of Bourbon, the son of Louis of Bourbon, Charles VI's maternal uncle. In addition, over 6,000 French fighters died. This would devastate France, which was already struggling with a civil war and a king who was often unable to recognize those closest to him. Adding to the death of the Dauphin months later, and it's easy to understand why France struggled over the next decade. Charles VI did have two other sons, but you'll see they hadn't been prepared for the role. The next Dauphin, John's life, was a bit different from his brother's, to say the least. When John was born on the 31st of August, 1398, he had two surviving older brothers. He really was surplus to needs. The fact that his oldest brother had survived infancy was a good sign that he would survive to adulthood. So John was used to make alliances. When he was four, he was betrothed to Jacqueline, the daughter and only legitimate child of William of Bavaria and Margaret of Burgundy. Jacqueline was the heiress of the county of Hainaut. Like John's mother, Jacqueline was a great-granddaughter of the Holy Roman Emperor Louis IV through her father. She was also a granddaughter of Philip the Bold. John would move to his future mother-in-law's household in 1406 when he was seven. The couple was officially married in 1415. Don't worry, papal dispensation was received. <laughs> the couple actually received their dispensation four entire years before their wedding. Because he was surplus to requirements, it was expected that he would focus on ruling his wife's lands in the future. He had minimal connections to the French, since he was raised in Hainaut. It had also protected him from the machinations of his uncles and cousins. John's upbringing was focused on preparing him to rule Hainaut. His future father-in-law wanted to make sure his daughter would have an easy transition to Duchess, since he had no legitimate sons. Don't worry, he had a few illegitimate ones. 
By educating his future son-in-law, he could see that his daughter's future was secure. When Louis died, John's father-in-law, William, was able to gain influence in the French court. Sadly for his plans and those of Charles, John didn't live much longer. He would die at the age of 18 in 1417. There are two potential causes of death, an abscess in his head or poisoning. Well, this is the end of the story for these two dauphins, who were almost king. It's not really the end of this story. Patrons will get to hear even more when I discuss Henry V and Joan of Arc in coming weeks. But for the rest of you, I'll give you a bit more of the story. Charles VI and Isabeau of Bavaria wanted their youngest surviving and only living son with them. He needed to be trained up to be king, after all. Yolande of Aragon and her husband, Louis of Anjou, had the youngest surviving son of Charles VI and Isabeau, Charles, I'll call him young Charles, in their custody. He had been sent to them after his betrothal to their daughter Marie. Louis of Anjou was Charles VI's cousin through his uncle of the same name. I mentioned him in the last episode. Charles VI and Isabeau requested that Yolande and Louis send their son back to the French court after the death of John. Though Louis of Anjou was probably dead by the time the message arrived, he only lived a few weeks after John's death. Yolande supposedly responded with, quote, We have not nurtured and cherished this one for you to make him die like his brothers, or to go mad like his father, or to become English like you. I keep him for my own. Come and take him away if you dare. End quote. You obviously know about the first two accusations made in this quote, the deaths of the Dauphins and the madness of Charles VI. But you may not understand the accusation that the queen had become English. After the Battle of Agincourt and the death of Louis, Isabel and John the Fearless had sided with the English. Now this may sound like an odd choice, but Isabel did have her reasons. For one, the Armagnac faction had imprisoned her. Once she got out, she wasn't really feeling supportive of them. Oh, and Yolande was a member of the Armagnac faction. This led Yolande to fear for young Charles's life, rightly so. Her son-in-law would spend much of his life fighting for literally his life or the throne, sometimes both at the same time. Yolande literally protected young Charles, who was barely 14 at the time of his brother John's death. Most of you will know that young Charles eventually became Charles VII. I'm not going to tell you his whole story, because he did become king, but I have one more little bit to share. By the way, of all of the French kings I've looked at thus far, Charles V and Charles VII are the two that really impress me. Take a look at their stories if you have time. Due to Yolande's support and John the Fearless siding with the English, young Charles didn't trust his cousin, John the Fearless. John the Fearless had sided with England partially to protect the wool trade that benefited his holdings in the Low Country. Yes, it was money. They stood against each other at various points throughout 1418 and 1419. They finally agreed to a meeting on the 10th of September, 1419. They were to meet in the middle of the bridge of Montereau, across the Seine. Builders had set up a room in the middle of the bridge by constructing barriers with doors on each army's side. 
the Dauphin and John the Fearless were to be escorted by their respective men to the middle, where they would each go through and lock themselves in to meet. John the Fearless bowed to his cousin in respect, and the meeting began. Well, at least until young Charles's men burst through his unlocked door and stabbed John to death. Charles apparently just stood by watching, without emotion. Apparently bragging about killing the Dauphin's uncles years earlier wasn't the best call. The Dauphin's men may have even mutilated John's body in the same manner that Louis of Orléans was mutilated at the time of his murder. By standing against John the Fearless, Charles was in effect standing against his mother, which helps answer the question I asked at the start of this episode. This question can't be answered other than to accept that Charles VI mental illness made him so unwell that he shouldn't have been able to agree to his youngest son being replaced by Henry V of England. From an actual legal standpoint, he had no way of making decisions of this nature. Isabeau seems to feel betrayed by her son's decision to kill her ally. It's important to remember that the two subjects of this episode, Louis and John, were not passed over. They had both died before they could be. Would Charles VI and Isabeau have been as quick to pass over Louis as they were to pass over their youngest surviving son? While Louis hadn't been their first Dauphin, he did appear to be the child they put their most planning and energy into. They saw him as a hope for their future. John may have suffered from the same lack of familial affection his parents showed his youngest brother. So yes, there's a chance that John would have been passed over as well. So would Louis and John have been better kings than the king that succeeded in their place? Honestly, probably not. <laughs> Spoilers in a few weeks' time when I reach the conclusion of the Hundred Years' War. I'm going to let you know that Charles VII was one of the greatest kings the French could have asked for. He earned two supercase, the victorious and the well-served, the former for his victories that saw France remain a country, the latter for his selection of people to trust in this endeavor. I think Louis would have been too caught up in the machinations of his cousins and his mother would have had too much of an influence on him. John, on the other hand, would have been focused on his wife's lands at first and this would have included battling with his cousin, John the Fearless, for these lands when it came to it. Charles VII had more in common with his thoughtful grandfather, Charles V, than any of his immediate family. Patrons will get an episode on Henry V very soon, plus one on Joan of Arc. You're probably wondering where the Black Death episode is as well. It's coming soon, and I'll let you know when it's ready. Next week, I'll be returning to England to see how things are going with Henry V out of the picture. Because it, it's not going to be a long reign with him. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at passpod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash pastpod. Imagine 
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.